it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. And this week, we meet Thomas Van Delanot, head brewer at John Martin Brewery in Belgium, makers of Timmermans beers, and also Bourgogne de Flanders. I'll always have a fondness for Belgian beers. To some extent, that's because they were among the first to show me personally that not all beers were lagers. But also as my career has developed, and as I've watched the evolution of the craft beer industry, I came to realise that their brewers have such a respect for what they make, and also how it will be enjoyed, while still being willing to experiment and not be entirely shackled by tradition. But their goal is always the drinking experience. I'll get myself into trouble for saying this, but I feel that sometimes the constant search for novelty and hype in the craft brewing industry doesn't always come from a position of respect for the beer, which is something that small brewers often accuse large brewers of. But again, that's just me yelling at clouds. Thomas was in Australia as his beers are just about to be made available in Australia again post-COVID. And the importer also said that after a decade of declining interest in classic Belgian beers, beer drinkers are starting to rediscover them. This is a wonderful chat with a passionate brewer, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Thomas Van Delanot, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Oh, my, my pleasure. Now, let, let's just uh, start at the beginning. I got that pronunciation right? Yeah, that's completely <laughs> correct. Because <laughs> we were talking, because we are going, th- this is going to be the uh, learn how to pronounce beers episode of Beer as a Conversation as we go, because Martin, the brewery that company that you work for, has Timmermans, fairly easily uh, pronounced. You've also got Waterloo. Which, it's an easy um, one as well. Uh, but then you also have Begonia de Flanders. How do I go with that one? That was very good. Not too bad. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, but before we talk about beer, tell me the Thomas Van Delnot story because you weren't born into a brewing family. No, um, there's absolutely no history of uh, brewers within my family. Um, I got a little bit infected spontaneously at school. Um, I was, uh, which is, is that a rehearsed line uh, given yeah. what you do? Okay, yeah. <laughs> because I was 16, 17 years old. I was, um, following a, a course which is called biotechnical science at school, uh, which is, um, really, um, into chemistry, biology, um, biotechnology as well. Uh, but with an addition of four hours of uh, practical course. And during those courses, um, we had one very passionate teacher, which is called um, Patrick Daniels. Um, he um, learned us how to make cheese, uh, unpasteurized cheese, uh, how to make yogurt, um, sourdough bread. Also, we had to do the less uh, fun stuff like uh, titration and other chemistry. But um, a certain day, he invited us um, as a class to go and uh, check out a brewery in the center of Brussels, which is called Cantillon. And we got the chance to uh, drink some of the lambics. Um, so before blending, 
and immediately my eyes opened. This was something uh, very interesting. Um, but it got a little bit in the back of my head. Um, I uh, first did something else. Um, after my high school, I went and studied for becoming a teacher in biology, technology and geography. Um, but I was still quite interested in what's happening when I was going to the bar and tasting beers because I was very into all the different beer styles. That was um, now 20 years ago. So um, there wasn't, um, or the, the beer hype was just starting off, but it was on its its little steps uh, forward. So I went and um, added two years of uh, brewing school to that in Ghent. Um, and I was a bit in luck because that the the school in Ghent. Uh, there was um, a colleague student who was working for a company um, called Martins, uh, which is still the company where I uh, work for today. And they were planning to start a brewery in um, in Bruges, Bourgogne-Flandre. But that was in 2010, 2011. They had bought the building, but they didn't have the rights yet to install the brewery yet. Um, but they have they had a little problem because um, at that point they had a brewery in. Brussels called Timmermans, a lambic brewery, um, and their brewer was 62 years old. So he was in the latest part of his working days. Um, he could uh, stop working, and um, they had to find a new brewer. Um, so they asked me, "Are you interested in uh, coming to brewer for us? You will be brewing in Bruch in maybe two years." But you first have to brew in Brussels, in, in a Lambic brewery. And I don't think there's another a lot of brewers at that point that will say no, because if you get the chance to become a brewer in a Lambic brewery, you just say yes. Yes. And that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, that's fascinating. And, and we're recording for an Australian brewing industry audience that has discovered beers, but... You, you, you've been raised in, I, I would imagine, even though it wasn't your career idea, a, a Belgian beer tradition. You, you, you grew up with these beers around you, and yet it sounds like you still revere that opportunity to, to, to brew for, for Timmermans. Yeah. Um, if, if you can uh, go and work for a Lambic brewery, which is um, in science and what is happening behind it uh, compared to the regular uh, Belgian breweries, it's a whole different world that opens. Um, so um, I was very keen on starting to brew for them uh, first there and then see what would happen uh, in the future. Was there a lot of interest in following the 62-year-old brewer? You know, I, I would have th- I, I'm surprised that there wasn't a lineup of people going, can I work for you, can I work for you? But is, is, is that the experience in Belgium, that there were a lot of people just waiting for the chance to, to, to brew? It depends. I think I was in luck. Um, to be able to and, to and, and this was twenty odd years ago. Uh, that's now twelve years ago. Oh, twelve years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so I was in luck that they suddenly needed to find something, someone else, and uh, and that I could go and and start working for them. But in a way, it was also at a point. Timmermans was it was at a point to um, re. Um, or go back to tradition um, and um, work even harder on what they were doing in their barrel room. Um, so they attracted um, uh, Willem van Herwege, who is the guy who um, 
20 years, 25 years ago, started the CAM um, as a Lambic uh, blendery. Um, so they attracted him to work on the project in Bruges, but also on um, regaining work in uh, Timmermans because 15 years, 20 years ago, um, Lambic was losing a lot of interest. Um, and um, thanks to Willem, uh, a lot of work happened to uh, get it back to where it's now. Um, so I was in luck not only to be able to go and work for Timmermans, but also to get trained by Willem, who um, had a long history of um, working in Lambic breweries and making Lambics, blending them. So uh, I learned a lot in a very short time. <laughs> Tell me about that. Be- I- I- again, I- in Australia, our modern craft brewing um, tradition is only around about 20 years. You know, if, if you go back to 2000 with Little Creatures, it, it d- does extend a little bit before then. But the whole of it has watched with reverence the Belgian brewing tradition that, you know, the, the stories go back hundreds of years. Michael Jackson famously uh, celebrated Belgian um, breweries as the Burgundies of the North. Um, but it sounds, you know, it, it's fascinating to hear you say that Lambic's some of the most celebrated beers internationally were dying in, 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 in their own backyard. Yeah. Um, I think beer and beer styles go in waves. Um, you have the, the IPA craze, you have the sour craze, you have several waves of different beers that come and go. Um, and the same thing happened, uh, with the industry in, in Belgium. If we, uh, for instance, take the, the, um, example of Bruges where Bourgogne Flandre, uh, is situated now. Um, it's a brewery that dates back to 1765. Um, and at that stage, there were a lot of breweries starting up in medieval cities. So the brewery um, scene in, in Bruges was building up. And by the time we're at the 19th century, end of 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, in the center of Bruges, which is a, a medieval city, four on three kilometers uh, as a size so very small 42 breweries and around eight distilleries were active but then we had the two world wars uh, causing a lot of breweries to shut down we had the upcoming of lagers um, meaning that um, for the first time brewers were able to um, ferment their beer at way lower temperatures compared to before because before it was all top fermentation beer in belgium and spontaneous fermentation beers um but um, it meant that um, the brewers that had to close down all pause during the world wars, um, they had to invest and not everybody got the money to invest. So a lot of breweries, again, closed down. And um, that Bourgogne Flandre brewery, uh, before the, se- the First World War, they were at f- with three breweries in the center of Bruges. By 58, they closed down as well. So everything changes, changed in Belgium towards lagers, um, easy drinkable beers. Um, a few breweries survived, um, but along the years, um, also the Lambic brews uh, started to get in, in trouble, um, especially the 80s, the 90s were very bad times. Um, luckily enough, a lot of breweries um, with Lambic beers, they switched to uh, sweeted fruited beers because we have um, a lot of people that 
um, were raised with Coca-Cola and sweetened uh, beverages. So they could refer to a sweetened lambic as something uh, that they had as a kid. So sweeted fruited lambics um, got more and more popular. It saved a lot of breweries, but it made also um, to disappear uh, on the same time a lot of breweries that didn't want to go into that same story. But we're we're seeing that now in the modern craft beer movement because bitterness is, I'd imagine, like the sourness of true lambics, that it's a challenge. Uh, It's not something that we naturally gravitate towards in in our tastings. And beer in Australia is currently facing challenges with seltzers, for example, which are these fruited seltzers, you know, fruited Al- things. Alcohol for, beverages with... Uh, <laughs> basically, it's, it's, it's fruited alcohol yeah. as opposed to, you know, it's a very judgmental thing to say, but I see beer as a noble beverage. It's one of the true original beverages that leads back to a natural fermentation process and you know that's why i love it and wine is 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 the same but tastes are always changing and i guess every industry is chasing the palates that are shaped by the other things that are going on yep. around them and it's each time trends that come up and go down again like the hot seltzer it's a trend of um lowering calories um lower alcohol for instance as well um but in the end it's um in my opinion not the most natural drink to be drinking <laughs> and um you can see that people will go back in the next couple of years towards traditional beers as well um and that's what i was talking about the waves of uh, beer styles that come up and go down again luckily enough for us um sour has always been a nice and stable product um, all along, all along the, the history. But now we, we do see that sours are coming up uh, again. It, it's probably a little bit blinkered or a little bit you know, self-interested to talk about beer. And even when you have a framboise or a creek, um, there is a complexity to those naturally brewed products, even whilst they're obviously providing a taste for people. There is still the sourness under. There's a complexity. There's a depth to the flavour that makes it not just an easy delivery of alcohol to people who want an effect from that alcohol. Yeah, it is. Um, it is with natural products that we work uh, to produce our fruit beers, um, and you can really taste the fruits like they are picked straight from the plant. Um, and thanks to the acidity, um, you get a. Um, more drinkable beverages, um, which is um, closer to wine as is, uh, uh, its acidity as well. Um, so it, it has a, a large complexity, and thanks to the, the aging of the lambics in our in our barrels during uh, multiple years, um, it gets um, different influences from the oak, from the wild yeast, from all different stuff. Um, so that's a, a beer which is quite unique to produce, but in the end it's quite easily to drink as well. Where is beer in Belgium at the moment? You know, Belgian beers are celebrated globally by people who almost um, fetishize it. You know, they, they from a remove we look at it and love it and celebrate it. But how how is the average... 30-year-old Belgian approaching beer, do, do, do they love the beers as much as they're loved uh, internationally? I think 
like everywhere, the biggest volume is still lagers and easy drinkable beers. Um, but the craft scene and the um, uh, special beer styles, they have taken a large uh, chunk of those lagers. And that's because um, the price of beer went up. If you go to a bar and you can buy a lager um, and you can buy for maybe one euro more a specialty beer, then people go to the specialty beer because they, they know they will have something uh, more special in their glass afterwards. Um, a lot of um, speci specialty bars um, have been installed all around Belgium. A lot of um, beer pubs as well. More craft breweries and um, more unique breweries are opening uh, again. I must say with Corona and um, the last year of economical crisis, um, there's more breweries closing down now than starting up. Um, but it's still at a way higher uh, quantity of breweries compared to 10, 15 years ago. So there is a general um, uh, wave towards uh, traditional beers, Belgian beers. We're sitting here uh, at Felons in Brisbane. You're, you're visiting Brisbane and Felons yep. is a great place. You know, not, not an ad for Felons, but when you sit here looking at um, a, a brewery over the looking the river and, and the city skyline, it's a lovely place to enjoy a beer um, in context. And we're, we're, we're drinking uh, their, their crisp lager, which is very much uh, along the lines you were talking about. But it is 35 degrees. It's very very high humidity we're both sitting here and we're still sweating and enjoying the crisp lager and enjoying the crisp lager <laughs> and and it, it, it's very much beer in 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 place but obviously to survive breweries need more complex beers um and need to be able to, to to sell them what is the secret do you think to getting more consumers to look at beer as being something that has a story and a complex complexity to it and not just refreshment as you already mentioned, uh, story is one of the most important parts. To start a new brewery now is more difficult than it used to be, I think, in Belgium. Um, unless you go for very extreme styles, but then you're in a, in a very small niche market. Um, there's, there has been a lot of uh, beers uh, produced all over the years in Belgium that have um, a very nice story, and that helps to have that beer... Um, its place and its um, existing right. Um, important is that that beer also has its local um, sales point, that it, like an oil stain, starts off and then spreads out. Um, and I think if um, you keep to those traditions, to uh, your um, way of working, and you don't jump on every um uh new wave uh, there is there is still a big uh possibility for all brewers to have a meaning in uh, in that beer world with your background in science and fermentation you could have been a winemaker i'd imagine um where, based on where you hail from why why make beer what is it about beer that 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 has led you into a career well, I'm Belgian, of course. <laughs> and um, the Belgians make wine as well. We have wine, yeah. We've got a, a few very good wineries um, as well. But uh, beer is almost like French fries or national dish. 
you tumble into beer on a very young age um, and you learn how to appreciate uh, those flavors. Um, and um, I think um, wine 15 years ago, 10 years ago, wasn't um, a big issue on the Belgian uh, production scene. Um, luckily enough, that has changed a lot. Um, so I think it was the easy call, go for beer. Um, I was already interested in everything I tasted. I had my lambics that I tasted. I had um, a few other stuff. Um, so it kind of was easy for me. Um, maybe I, I forgot to tell you a, a part of my history um, as well. Um, when I was uh, going for that class in Ghent, I was also uh, following a course of um, uh, Cicerone or Zytologist in Bruges in a hotel uh, school, which is worldly renowned for all their uh, master chefs, all the three-star legends in Belgium. Um, they come from uh, two schools and one of them is their uh, school. And um, because of the teacher being interested in, in beer, he was a, a wine um, connoisseur, he wanted to start a class around beer tasting and attract uh, chefs and other people to come and um, taste uh, what he was uh, tasting as well. He wasn't that big on beer in general because his first, uh, I, I remember his first lesson was... Uh, five very commercial beers i won't tell the names but uh that was the first lesson and we immediately as students said um maybe next next week we'll bring some other stuff <laughs> and we'll uh, let you know some stuff um but at the same time in that same class there was a a, a person called mark van der pit and uh, mark van der pit he's um he was at that stage trying to get uh, four or five friends together to start a beer festival in, in Belgium. Um, there was slowly uh, a re-interest in, in beer fests and beer tastings. And so um, they, they, they got the goal to start in the center of Bruges, in the, in the Belfry Tower, uh, a beer fest. So um, he asked me as well, um, because I was always tasting along with him and with a few other uh, people sitting around the, the table with the teacher. He asked if, we, uh, if I was interested also to join and uh, get to that team of um, uh, beer friends. And um, so I started helping them out with their beer fest. And uh, by 2019, it was the 13th edition, I think, or the 12th edition by then. Um, we had 25,000 visitors um, in two days in Bruges every year. Were they Belgian visitors or were they international visitors? International. International yeah. visitors. Yeah. And the festival was, um, because we moved it now to uh, September, next year will be June. And back then it had to be February because our beer festival was too um, big as a venue for the city of Bruges. So they placed this on the month of February because then it's low season and normally there's not a lot of uh, tourists around. But um, to give you an idea, the weekend of uh, the, the before, or it was all, always the first weekend of February, around the 6th and the 7th of February, uh, we had a hotel uh, range of 80% full in Bruges. The weekend after, there's Valentine's, 
<laughs> and it was less than 40%. So people <laughs> were coming to Bruges just for beer and not for their girlfriend or <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> or chocolates, which is the or other. Or chocolates. <laughs> but, and, and that fascinates me. It's a conversation we're having in Australia, beer festivals, and there have been a number of them that have sprung up. If you go back 15 years ago, it was when small breweries were starting up, but they had no way to sell because the hotels and the pubs and the places that sold beer were locked into the major lager producers. And so a beer festival was a way that consumers could come along and try these beers that they'd heard about. These days, by and large, you can find craft beer everywhere and beer festivals are less about building a market. It it, it sounds like the Bruges Festival that you just described is more of a tourism event than it is a beer event. You know, it's people coming to Bruges to try beers as opposed to sell beers to Belgians. Yeah, it's it's a bit uh, both worlds now. Mm. Uh, you get the, the the tourists, you get the the locals. Um, depending on the day, the Sunday will all be more locals than the Saturday because the Saturday are more tourists and they sometimes start their race a little bit too quick. <laughs> a little and bit by like the end, <laughs> very diplomatic. <laughs> so by Sunday, they have to pause a little bit. Um, but it is interesting because we, we get uh, people from the whole industry. Uh, we see suppliers running around. Uh, we see other brews running around as well, coming to see uh, what uh, the brews are up to. Um, every year you have a few breweries that um, wait a year and then come back another year. Um, so there's a, the whole movement within uh, that beer fest is very interesting to see. And I still, I do still believe that it's interesting and important to have a little foot into beer fests um, because it is part of that oil stain that I was talking about. Um, you're connecting to the locals but at the same time you have interest from other scenes, other regions which are coming in and getting to taste your beer and taking back to where they are from. Um, so I do think that beer festivals have a reason to be there um, as a marketing uh, point of view. Do you watch the you know, French, um, Flanders wine industries and see what you can learn from them? Yeah, a lot. Um, what, I also what, what can brewers learn from the, the wine industry? Uh, quite a lot, yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm working on a, uh, at the moment, a secret project. <laughs> <laughs> no one's a, listening. Yeah. You, you can tell me. <laughs> There's a, a winemaker in, in uh, West Flanders, quite close to where we are. And um, a few months ago, when uh, the, the grapes were harvested, um, I got the luck to go and uh, taste the grapes uh, and the grape juice that was taking off from his fields. Uh, different grape varieties. And um, it all started on a wine festival, not on a beer festival, that we were talking to each other. And um, uh, he said, if you want, you can come and taste the grapes and we'll make some sort of a, a hybrid uh, between uh, a grape and malted barley. Um, so I, we sat together. I started designing a, a recipe. And the more I was working on that, the more um, influences got me triggered by the wine uh, making as well um, 
they have a few very good um, champagne style or um, uh, higher carbonated wines. Um, so the high, high carbonation was uh, interesting for me. Um, and then also the grapes, because when I was tasting their grapes, um, there was one which is called Solaris, um, which is a Belgian grape variety. It has a very pungent elderflower flavor to it. Um, sometimes it switches into uh, tropical flavors as well. So At the you, moment, uh, straight away, I'm hearing elderflower is something that brewers of, often use, and tropical flavors are very big in craft beer. So yep. it, I, 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 I'm, that's what I'm hearing from what, 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 what you're saying. Yeah, and uh, we uh, search for that flavor or by adding um, yep. yes. fruits or by adding um, uh, herbs or spices, but we can also find them in hops. But the problem with hops is that often they're bind and they're not uh, free as a product to come into your beer. The last year and a half, two years, there's a lot to do about uh, tiles, um, basically sulfur components that are masked within hop. And if you have uh, a little f uh, enzymatical work, those tiles will come out because they are um, bonded um, with uh, glucose. But by enzymatical works and by fermentation, those tiles come out. And at that point, you can have hops creating elderflower and other flavors as well. Because uh, very interesting is that some grapes have the same tiles as we are looking for in, um, in our hops. Have you seen Phantasm, which is the... Yep. It's a grape skin yes. um, tile product, which is launched as, a, as an addition. Mm. Um, so it was interesting to see the same thing happening with the grape juice we were getting from uh, that winery. Um, it's now almost finished. We still have to do the re-fermentation in the bottle. And then uh, in a few days, uh, we'll, we'll start um, uh, labeling in it. And uh, probably it will be sold by... Maybe end of 23, we'll see uh, what happens. Um, but it has been a very interesting path uh, throughout the production. It, was, uh, it started just as a, a fun experiment, but suddenly um, uh, the whole company got interested in what we are doing now. Um, so it's a, a new beer style. There are uh, already a few grape ales around the world. Uh, but for us, it's completely new and un unexploited uh, territory. But again, it helps to build our story. We're in in with the beer that we produce. Produce. We were in in Bruges, uh, 55 kilometers further. We have our, our winery that we work together with. So it's a very local story, and we'll see if that local uh, product can have an extra punch into the sales uh, as well. So. It's, again, the oil stain that can spread out. and You must be pleased you're not a German brewer operating <laughs> under the uh, beer purity laws. <laughs> I'm very happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is one of those fascinating discussions. On one hand, it keeps beer pure in a sense, like a very central, you know, but it does stifle innovation um, as well. But then again, at what point does playing around with the things you're doing just become sorghum neutral alcohol with fruit extracts added 
um, in, in, in seltzer form. You yeah. know? <laughs> that, that's a value judgment ultimately, but Indeed. It, it, it's a big part of the storytelling, I would imagine. And it's a very thin line. And I know there's uh, a lot of um, unique experimental batches nowadays as well with uh, cookie dough and other stuff as well. Um, I do think I, I see the fun in, in what's happening. Um, just as long as it as it's not a chemical um, addition of all different stuff, I'm very happy with it. As long as it's an, a natural way of producing um, and creating, it's it's fun because out of creation we learn new stuff and then uh, we can implement those stuff again into our our other beers. For me, I, I think the. Uh, d d the definition of pornography in America was I know it when I see it and that's where <laughs> you know y you can't define it because everyone has a way of, appro of approaching it but it, it sounds like what you just described is much more romantic and it's much more um, there's a lot more story in it yep. than just throwing fruit into neutral alcohol and <laughs> calling it a, 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 a beer yep in, uh, for instance, our, our uh, Creek Lambic, although the Creek at Timmermans, it starts off as a, as a young Lambic. So the Lambic goes onto the cool ship. From the cool ship, it goes into the barrels. From the barrels, it stays there uh, for a few months until we think it's the right time to take it out of the barrels and add it to a, another fooder. We start and by adding a 400 grams of sour cherries per liter of Lambic, into those fooders then it gets another six months or one year and a half depending on flavor again before we get to blend that creek lambic with uh, lambic again to create an old creek so it it is a story of two years or even longer before that beer is in the bottle and um, that long story has got a lot of work in it but in the end you get the result which is a unique beer and, and that's the challenge because you can replicate those flavors broadly much more cheaply, much more easily with less time and less waste. How do you justify the cost of something that you make for people who probably don't care as much about the story or is it a beer that's not for people that don't care about the story? I think it, it's still relevant to do uh, beers like that because it's the tradition of the brewery. It shows the uh, craftsmanship, the art of the brewers, the blenders, the whole team. Um, so it's maybe not the biggest volume maker, uh, those um, difficult beers. But in the end, it proves that um, everything is done within the company is um, built on knowledge that has been passed from one to another for years and years and years. And I, I should finish on, because as you can probably tell, I could chat with you about this all day. But uh, I'd be happy to. We, we, we do have some beer, brewers so. that want to meet you as well so uh, and, and, and share some beers. So uh, hopefully we can continue this chat off mic um, there. But after a hiatus um, through COVID and a number of other reasons, um, your beers are going to be available in Australia again uh, fairly, fairly shortly. The, the very least I can do is uh, let you tell me a little bit about that. Yep. So um, our beers got imported um, throughout the years to Australia, um, but due to COVID and in, uh, the economical uh, situation, uh, we unfortunately lost uh, quite a big market. Um, 
And it would be sad to not have beers in my favorite country. <laughs> so I was very happy to hear that uh, the the people of Bitbeer, Frank, uh, are interested to bring it back uh, because they see an opportunity of um, classic Belgian beers to uh, be on the market again. Um, and so within uh, the next couple of weeks... Our bees will be uh, available uh, on Australian market again. And I'll be happy to uh, come and see how that works uh, from time to time. <laughs> well, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> so, uh, Thomas Van Delnot, uh, thank you very much for this conversation and uh, all the very best. And let's go try some locally made barrel aged beers now. Thank you very much. And that was Thomas Van Delnot. I have to thank Felons in Brisbane, where this interview was recorded, for hosting us. Purely by coincidence, this interview was recorded when Thomas was available in Brisbane, but it was also in the week that Felons launched its first beers from its own Barrel Age program, and we got to try them after the interview. It is exciting to me that not only are classic Belgian beers being rediscovered, but Australian breweries are also investing in them, and they're also well worth checking out. And just a plug, unpaid, for Thomas's beers. They will be landing in Australia in early July and they will be available from Beer Importers and Distributors. There's a link in the show notes to Beer Importers and Distributors, but if you're a re retailer, get in touch. If you're a consumer, maybe put your local independent bottle shop in touch with Beer Importers and Distributors and suggest that they get some in for you. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, please help us out. If you are a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think we're the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to and they can hear your message as well. It's advertising that makes us possible and also keeps us independent. And so we rely on your support as the industry to keep doing what we do. To find out more, you can shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. If you're a listener, you can kick in a few dollars. There's a link in the show notes, blah, blah, blah. You can review us on Apple Podcasts and now also Spotify. Please take the time to do that. Or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts. We'll be back this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week and discussing all of its implications. Music.